Amen. Welcome, family of faith. Amen. It's good to look around to see each and every one of you on this wonderful Sunday, the day before Labor Day. How many have off tomorrow? Just, just show hands if you have off tomorrow. If you have off tomorrow, I'll preach a little longer because you, 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 you'll be able to sleep in tomorrow. I'll just go. <laughs> How awesome it is to be in the house of the Lord, to be around the family of faith, to be around the people of God. Amen. It's so essential that we fellowship. How many know today that it's this, this fellowship, this encouragement that's going to help you endure to the very end? How many know that today? That if you're going to make it to the very end, you're going to make it because of this fellowship, people encouraging you in the faith. And how many today will say, you know what, I need to be encouraged in my faith, right? Will you look at your neighbor right now and say, I've come to encourage you. Be blessed. Give them a God bless you, a hug, a salutation. And just say, hey, listen, today we're going to be encouraged in the faith and we're going to be encouraged in the Lord. And we pray that the things that will be said today will be to your edification and your growth in the Lord. And we've got a lot of growth. How many today are still growing in the Lord? Amen. I'm still growing. I've been in church my whole life, and I'm still trying to grow and apprehend the things of the Lord. And so it's so awesome to know that we're all here, as Paul said. I'm not saying I've apprehended it, but I'm straining forward. Amen. Because I want to know the fullness of the Lord, and I know you do too. Many of you know that we started a brand new series last Sunday when we got into uh, wonderful expressions of the God of the Old Testament. I know God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're going back into some of the expressions of God, what I call main events. And we started last Sunday with the first message entitled, The Image of God. And so uh, today we are at another expression of a main event in the Lord, or particularly in the Old Testament, as we are now at the flood. Next week we'll be at the Tower of Babel. And so we'll investigate uh, the God of the ages as we investigate uh, the main event of the Tower of the Babel. And we'll read about that next Sunday. But if you'll, for right now, if you'll stand to your feet, we're going to read the Word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, and for some of you that are students of the Word, you know that we are in Genesis chapter 6. I'm only going to read verses 1 through 8. It's just enough context to help you to see uh, the, the, the flood and for what it is. And, and I'm, I'm namely today, I'm gonna, I will talk a little bit about the ark. Amen. There's, there's a relationship today in the main event with the ark. And I'll get to some of those conversations here in just a moment. But, but I want to talk to you about the flood, right? I want to talk to you about the flood. And so if you're in Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, I'm reading from the King James Version of my Bible. I will re read verses 1 through 8. Uh, and again, this message we call the flood. This is the main event. We're going to talk about it here together. And it begins like this, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, check this out, that the sons of God, not, not men, not, not the children of God, but fallen angels, check this out, the sons of God, fallen angels, saw the daughters of men that they were fair, they were beautiful. And they took to them wives of all of which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh, Yet his days shall be 120 years. And we see God begins to limit the number of the, the age of men in that time. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, and we know that after the flood, we hear of Ra, the uh, uh, angels, the Rephaim. We hear about those in the, in the promised land. Listen, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. The same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. There were giants in the land. Verse 5. And this is what I've come to talk to you about. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord. It sorrowed God that he had made men on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy men whom I have created from the face of the earth, both men and beasts, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it sorrowed me, it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah 
found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we're going to talk about him too. Y'all ready? We're ready. We're going, to, we're going to get into some stuff today. I pray that your hearts are ready. Let's, let's clear off the table. Let's, let's set aside uh, tomorrow's barbecue. Let's just get our minds onto the things that are. Will you, will you do that with me sometimes? I mean, we got to separate ourselves just for a moment. So I'm going to maybe minister for about 30 minutes, and I think by the time I get done, we'll have a, a better understanding of Genesis 6. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day, a day, Father, that you've made. That your word says that we should be glad and rejoice in it. Father, today we woke up with vitality, energies, and strengths. Uh, that, Father, we might press into your heart, your mind, that we might walk out of here better than when we first came in. So we pray your help, Holy Spirit, that you will embed the things that are heard today. Let this seed that's planted, the Word of God that's planted, let it fall in pliable places, saturated places. That that seed may yield forth back into the Lord, not 30, not 60, but 100 times that which was sown. We pray fruitfulness here at Harvest Point Church. We pray blessing. We pray strength. We pray purpose in Jesus' name. And we pray that together as a church family. Amen and amen. Will you go find somebody, and I want you to tell them this. You have found favor in the eyes of God. Go hug somebody. Find five or six people and just tell them, say, you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You have found favor. Go find somebody. You have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We welcome everybody to the house of the Lord. Thank you, guests and friends. It's so nice to have uh, guests in the house of the Lord. We welcome you. We hope that you're enjoying uh, your time with us. Amen. What a blessing it is to see the family of faith and the people of God coming together. Uh, Carlo and Laura, it's good to see you, my, my, my dear friends and workers of the kingdom of God from the Philippines. And your family, amen. What, how beautiful it is to see you guys. We, we bless you in the name of the Lord, amen. What an awesome day it is to be together in faith as we come together to know the Lord a little bit better, amen. Amen. I take great consolation in knowing that my God knows everything. I take refuge in the knowledge that my God is in the fullness of his knowledge, his counsel, in every aspect of my life. It is what we call the omniscience of God. Have you ever considered how great that is? God's omniscience? We qualify the, the nature of God. In three parts, in the omnis, in the allness of God. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. God is all-knowing. It is essential that you allow yourself to fall into the rest of the knowledge of God, that God knows everything. Do you know that Jesus, in the process of teaching uh, the ability to pray, that he gives the believer this wonderful notion of God when he says, for when you pray, your father knoweth what you have need of before you even ask him. How awesome is that? M most people won't extrapolate that far enough uh, to, to hear James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, say this. What is it profit, my brethren, if a man say he have faith and have not works, can faith save him? For if a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and you say unto them, go, be blessed, be warm, be filled, and you do nothing needful for that person to minister to their body, he says, what is it profit then? Do you know that the knowledge of God sets you up for the blessing of God? That the fact that God knows you have a need is to know that God's already solved it? 
that, that my Father in heaven says, listen, remember the former things of old. For I am God, there's none else. For I am the Lord and there's none like me declaring the end from the beginning. That God himself says, listen, I know what you have need of and I've already supplied it. When you really get a handle of the omniscience of God, then you can read your Bible in the past tense. Oh, somebody help me there with that. That when I read my Bible, it's already done. You know why? Because I hear the Lord tell me, seek, uh, ask, and you, you know, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you shall find it. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Why? Because my God's already declared the end from the beginning. He's in the fullness of that knowledge. Get your neighbor and say, God knows what you need. <laughs> Touch him back. Say, quit tripping. He's got it. He's omniscient. I, I, I believe this expression of the Lord has been lost in the church. I, I, I say it for a lot of you today. Uh, you're not living in the awareness of the completeness of God's knowledge towards you. That even the Bible says before the foundations of the world, he knew you. There, there's nothing new under the sun about you towards God. God knows you in your completeness. In fact, could I suggest to you that God's already buried you? <laughs> You've been dead a long time ago. It, it, it amazes me that we know this about God, that God knows everything. There's not one particular instance at any time of the Bible that God is not walking in the fullness of his knowledge of all things. And if we perceive the Lord as we should in the omnis of God, we know that wherever God is, he knows everything. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament will be the same God in the age of the glory of his kingdom here on earth. God will not change. He's walking in the fullness of that knowledge. That whenever God makes a decision, he makes a decision in his own counsel. How many know God in heaven doesn't have to tap his forehead and think things through? God doesn't twiddle his thumbs to come to a decision. God speaks out of his own counsel. He speaks out of his own knowledge, his own ability. And when God speaks, he speaks forth revelation. He speaks forth justice and judgment because he's speaking out of the wealth of knowledge. God knows everything all the time. If there ever was a know-it-all, it's God. Touch your neighbor and say, it's not you, it's God. There's a lot of people that think they know it all, but they don't. Only God is the know-it-all. It's amazing that we get to that point in our faith to know that God knows everything. And then we arrive at a place in the Bible where we see that God is flooding the earth. And, and, and over the ages and over the time, I've ran into people both inside the church and outside of the church that call into question the knowledge of God. Well, if God knew that men would come to this state, well, then why did he make men? Why would God make men and declare uh, all of creation to be good and then we get a few chapters removed away? In fact, 1,600 years removed from Adam to the flood and now everything's gone kaput. And if God was really who he says he is, if God is walking in knowledge and if God was all that you claim that he would be, then why is it that now here he is having to wipe all of the stuff that he had made off of planet Earth? Doesn't sound like he's knowledgeable at all. Part of the problem is, is that we don't really understand the nature of God. My job in this world, my work, what God has assigned me to, is to teach people who God is. So, so you don't come to Harvest Point to know seven ways to improve this or six ways to get a job and five ways to become a millionaire. What you're going to hear here is who God is. Because once you get an image of God, then everything else falls into place. Touch your neighbor and say, baby, you need to see God. What you need in your life is a clear image of God. Once you get that, then everything else makes sense. It is important to see one of the inherent natures of God and that God is a father. You've heard the Bible say that you've been not given a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've been given a spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father. It's his nature. 
Could I suggest to you that it's in the nature of God to have children? He's the father. Isn't it amazing to know that your relationship to God is not to God, but to dad? That God could have revealed himself any way he wanted to reveal himself, but the nature of God causes him to reveal himself to you as a father. How many are glad that God has become a father to you? No, 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 you're acting like, well, yeah, you know, huh. how about if Donald Trump was your daddy or, or Bill Gates was your daddy? You'd be real excited if you was born into that. But I, I said we've been born again and our father is the God of all of creation. <laughs> I mean, I think you'd be a little bit more happy about that than you are. Essential that we see God as the father. And that in everything that God does, let me digress. The, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4 that the 24 elders come before the throne of God and they cast their, their crowns at his feet. This is what they say. This is what they say. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor, glory, power. Catch this. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4.11. That God, his distinction, his father, makes things that he wants. <laughs> it's important that you know that God wanted you. Uh, often when you get around immature people, immature people, uh, an immature teenager, well, well, if, 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 why did you make me? Uh, they're going through some issue in life, some problem, some lack, something, and they'll say back to a parent, well, why did you have me? Uh, listen, I'm here to tell you, uh, I wanted my kids. When I got married, the expression of multiplying and, and having a family was endearing to me. That was in my nature to have a family. Could I suggest to you today that you're here because God wanted you. He wanted children. Somebody say hallelujah. Well, you look at your name and say God wanted you. The idea that God wants you presents to us. Uh, uh, an issue, something, a contention, something that we have to think through. I mean, why would God want you? <laughs> I have never met a parent yet who had a child and said to me, if I had it all over to do again, I never would have had that child. Because all of us know that when we have children, we always run the risk of having a bad one. I mean, we want the good ones, but how many know sometimes you get a bad one? You don't have to raise your hand because I don't want y'all tripping and causing problems in your house. You know, just, just, just hear the message. Paul says this, and I want you to see the essence of God. When, when God creates something, he always gives what he creates choice, free will. Be, be, because the nature of God, because God is love, he wants you in turn to choose him. Uh, fortunately, we have a God in heaven who, who, because he knows the end from the beginning, has already produced salvation. And the work of the Holy Spirit through that work, through the Spirit of God, through salvation that we might come back to God. And so he put the plan in place, but it doesn't keep him from making children. And how many did they know that, that Paul writes, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none with understanding. There is none that seek after God. They've all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable, for there is none that doeth good, no, not one. So God is, God is in a fix. Either no children or having children that are no good. Let me say that one more time because you're looking around like, who's he talking about? Who's no good? You're no good. 
Will you look at your neighbor right now and say, you're no good. The father is now with a decision to have children, but he knows that every child he's going to have is going to be no good. But it's his nature to have children because he's the father. And he knows that when he has a child, he's going to give the child the ability to make decision on whether or not they want him or they want the world. Isn't that the issue today? Isn't that the fight that we're all in? Trying to keep God first? Isn't this the primary work of the Holy Spirit who the Bible teaches and tells me that he's in my life trying to produce in me a love so strong that I'm going to love him with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength? This is the work of the Spirit of God in your life to produce an image in you of God so strong, so effectable that you'll never change God for anything. You'll never exchange him. God's in a quandary. Do I have no children or have children that are no good? And through that lens, I want you to see Genesis 6. I, I want you to see what's happening in the heart of God. And when you have that, now we can go see Genesis 6 as we should. You see, God is sorrowful. He says, look what's become of my children. They didn't choose me. They chose the world. They had become so sick, so depraved, that they were out of the reach of God. That's what I call terminal illness. You ever heard that word before? When people become terminally ill? And the doctor says to a patient, you are outside of my ability to help you. You are terminally ill. God now looks down at his family, his children, and he says, my babies are terminally ill. And they're full of violence. And they're full of evil. Catch this. Do you know, uh, we're in a culture now that doesn't understand what evil is. In fact, could I share with you today that a lot of you don't even know what sin is anymore. That's the culture we're in. We're living in a very pervasive society where really nothing is sinful. That, that morality and, our, and the conversations of God are subjective. I mean, if it works for you, it works for you. And if it works for me, it works for me. But in the end, we're all going the same direction. No, we're not. No, we're not. You and I are not walking on the same road. Jesus says the path to the kingdom of heaven, it's obscure. It's narrow. Not everybody finds it. Why? Because sometimes we're too subjective. We lean more to our own understanding than we do to God's. Let me tell you what evil is. It's real simple. Anything that doesn't please the Lord. Let me say that one more time. Evil is anything that doesn't please God. Think of all the things in your life that are not pleasing him right now, and you get a taste of evil in your life. Uh, sin is missing the mark. Well, what's the mark? The heart of God. Think of all the things that we're involved in that aren't touching his heart, aren't ministering to him. And you get a sense of what evil is in your life and what sin is in your life. Somebody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost who's convicting you and helping you. And how, how many are thankful that the Holy Ghost goes through the thoughts of your mind? I mean, because if I knew what you were thinking, we'd have to call the police, the fire department, the FBI. We'd have problems in here. He goes through, listen, the Holy Spirit will go through the gutter of your mind and tell you that thought's not from God. That thought is of the Lord. That thought is of the flesh. This thought, is, this thought will destroy you. Can you imagine that we are now in a culture where, the, where, listen, the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of men was only evil. I mean, these people are sick. Sick because they didn't choose God, choose his way, choose to serve him. And that was at a time when you just simply served God by faith. By revelation of what you knew of God. And they are sick. God says, all my babies are terminally ill. They're all infected with this disease and there is no cure. And there's violence on the earth. And people are treating each other in this violence. 
It became so pervasive in this society that even fallen angels. How many, how many know, in fact, do me this favor, uh, go, go, just, as, just as because this, this, this was writings of Paul that I think you might need to remember. Go, go, go to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13. Uh, you know, let's continue in brotherly love, right? He says, but don't forget to entertain strangers. For thereby many have entertained what? Angels. Y'all see that? He, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Sorry, I just don't know, know most of these scriptures by memory. I, I, I say that to the church that fallen angels were already having relations with women. So imagine a culture so pervasive in demonic work that they're now having children out of demonic activity. I, I, I say this in so much as to speak of DNA and their genetic code has now been altered by this, this supernatural disruption of demonic work. When I tell you that society has fallen, it has fallen and it cannot be rescued. But I want you to remember that these are, this is a family of faith. And God is simply looking for a place in this terrible time to show his grace. Somebody say grace. I want you to see that the same grace that you're seeing today is the same grace that was then. And though we don't see it in the image that we have in the person Christ, they had it in the image of the thing we call the ark. The Bible says that, catch this, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And was God was looking for a place to show favor. I, I want you to catch this about Noah because the Bible says something specific about Noah. We didn't read it, but it's something specific. The Bible says that Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations. And that he walked with God. Did you hear that? That, that? that in a time when all of the earth, now this may surprise you, I would, I would tell you out of my own study that I believe there was at least a billion people on earth. Some say, you know, there could have been as few as maybe 100 to 200 million people on earth. I believe because people were living longer and there's 1,600 years between it, I believe there's probably as many people on the earth as there was then as there are now. It's a lot of people. And out of all those people, God is looking for a place to demonstrate favor. And he found one. He found one. Just, just one solitary man. In all of the multiplied billions of people, there's one guy that can find the grace, the favor of God. One. And the Bible tells me he's a just man. And that he's walking with God. But there's something in there that the Spirit caught me with. This man was, listen, perfect in his generations. He was perfect. Uh, most theologians will extrapolate back to the beginning, to, to his lineage, his heritage, uh, his past. Uh, all the way back to, all the way back, uh, to Adam. Uh, but people who understand what the Bible's really saying will tell you that he's perfect in his generations. In other words, so is his family. In other words, no one knew enough about God to preserve his house, to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. To, to walk out any semblance of the knowledge that they had of God, not only is Noah doing that, but so is his family. I think there's a lot of people in here, parents, I think there's a lot of people in here who underestimate the value of a Christian home. We, we find value in a lot of things, and we want to give our kids everything. But how many know you can give your kids everything, and they'll miss the whole thing altogether? That, that I believe that if we really had an essence of the value of God, that we would produce in our home a home that is dedicated to God. That not only you serve the Lord, but so do your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. In fact, God said, if I can find one man that will love me, I'll bless a thousand of his generations. 
And listen, my friend, listen, if, if you come out of a Christian home, you ought to thank God to high heaven that you came out of that house. And if you're living in a house where God's not the center, can I encourage you today to put Jesus center of your home, to put God the centerpiece, to declare to everybody that lives there, as for me and my house, we're all going to be serving God. Put God first. Give your neighbor a high five and say, put God first. Put God first. You need that godly home. When God wants to show favor, he's looking for a person perfect in generations. A person who understands where they're coming from. Listen, listen I said it a, a couple of weeks ago here in this church that, you know what, listen, I understand that some of you might say, well, you know what, preacher, I was, you know, I was an accident. I, I'm the oops baby. I get that a lot when people say, well, my parents didn't plan on having me. I'm an accident. Listen, if you're born again, you are not born out of flesh, nor out of blood, nor out of the will of men. You are born of God. Listen, God wants you. And, and we're in this time now where, where people don't understand that the protection that we need is found in generations. Raising up a godly home. You see, Noah, he found grace. He received divine revelation. Now, and I know we, we talk about the ark. Let me, let, me, I, I, let, me just, let me just talk about the ark. The ark is a symbol of Christ. It is the imagery that, that, that God is now going to wash the earth. And, and he's going to put Noah and his family, his sons and his wives, into the ark. Right? There's, there's only one ark because there's only one way. There's only one door. Do you know that of all the dimensions of the ark, God never gave a prescription for the dimensions of the door because the door had to be big enough for anything to enter in? Oh, there's another salvation experience. How many today know that, that God told uh, uh, Noah that I want you to pitch it within and without? I don't want you to seal it. How many today know you've been sealed in the blood and sealed in the Holy Spirit? These are all images of Christ, right? There's only one window. Because what? Well, we got to set our affections above. All of these are expressions of Christ. He didn't have no steering wheel. Somebody say, Jesus, take the wheel. Who builds a boat without telling the boat where to go? No rudder. No steering wheel. Because God was going to guide it. I want you to see that here is the image of Christ. The earth is going to be baptized. God's going to cleanse it. And brother and sister, listen, I want you to hear the sadness. I want you to, for a moment, peer into the heart of God. Rather than to your philosophical views of the Lord, I want you to peer into the heart. He's having to wash the earth. God is sorrowful. Repented the Lord. You know, today I'm living in a Christian culture that doesn't even think to be sorrowful for the world. That we say we know the Father, that, that, that we're Christians, but we don't have any, any of the godly sorrow, any of the hurt that God is experiencing. Do you know that God is experiencing what he did then as he is now? Or do you perceive things have gotten better? Do, do you know that... that What's happening in Genesis 6 is happening right now. You just haven't tuned in. Uh, let, let, me, let me go a little further. You, you know they came and asked Jesus, Jesus, what will be the signs of your coming? How do we know that the end is near? He says, well, first of all, going to be a lot of false prophets. They're going to come saying they're me, but it ain't me. <laughs> and how many know that we've seen a proliferation of men saying to be Jesus, the second coming in the 20th and 21st century, a proliferation of them. And if you don't think they're there, just go to YouTube. They'll tell you that they're Jesus. He says, there's going to be some coming in my name. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations are going to rise against nations, kingdom against, against kingdoms. He says, these things must come, but this is not the end. Did you know there's going to be pestilence in the last day? Somebody say, hello, COVID. 
Someone say, hello, cancer. You're going to hear of earthquakes and floods, diverse places. Did you know that they say in the last decade, there's been a 44% increase in floods and hurricanes, disasters, tornadoes. You know what Jesus said? He said, as it is in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of Noah, listen, people were eating and drinking. Marrying and giving into marriage. You know, it's business as usual. We're all just living our lives. Going through all the motions. Going to work, coming home, eating, going to sleep. Going to party over here, going to eat that, going over there. And you know, today you can go eat anywhere. All sorts of delicacies and things. We can meet every whim. We can go out and eat it or call it in to come, to have them drop it off. We're living our lives. We're going over here. We got a marriage. We got a baby shower. We got all these things oblivious to the, the fact that the world is about to be destroyed. Very few people even think about it. It's the flood. Except this time the Bible says God's going to destroy it with fire. This past week, laying in my prayer closet, you know, I pray over Mansfield. I cry over its condition. I cry over our church because there's a lot of people just too apathetic. Uh, the, the life has swallowed us. We're lethargic to the things of God. We don't even seem to have an energy to do the things of God. And I'm here to tell you, brother and sister, if coming to church on a Sunday morning is a labor for you, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I don't even know if you're in the kingdom. I don't even know if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because, you know, when you get the Holy Spirit, you have an energy, a vitality into the things of the Lord. Uh, you have a strength in the prayer, a, a strength in all the disciplines of the kingdom of God. You love the word of the Lord. You love fellowship because the spirit of God is dwelling in you and it calls out for it. Brother and sister, listen, I, I don't know what's happening in your life, but I think there's a lot of people. You've just been swallowed up in your careers. You're swallowed up with your kids. You've got a lot going on. And brother and sister, I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you those days have to come to an end. And I said last week, you were made for a purpose. You're not made just to pay bills. Uh, God didn't make you to be the postman. Come on, somebody, the manager. I don't, I don't know whatever you do. A co-worker, whatever, whatever you do for a living, you're not made for that. That's not your purpose. And, you know, we live in a life in a day where there's a lot of existentialism. And it's in the church where our value is placed in what we do in the world, not what we do for God. And there is a great inversion in the church where people are more concerned and finding value. Well, I'm a doctor, I'm an attorney, I'm a lawyer, I'm a civic leader, I, I'm the PTA president. Then they are in what they're actually doing for God. Come on, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, he's talking about you, baby. Talking about you. I'm lying in my prayer closet and I'm trying to press on the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. You know what he told me? You know what he quoted? 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name, listen, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal them, hear them, and I will hear their land. You know what, church? You know, you know, you know why God sent me here this morning? I'm calling Harvest Point to fast. To begin to put into your prayer life the dynamite that makes prayer, gives it vitality, and that's fasting. You know, as it was in the days of Noah, they were just eating and drinking, just, just business as usual. People just, just living life, living it to its fullness. And the Spirit of God is telling me, listen, you're going to have to fast. And you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to humble yourself. David said, I humbled myself in fasting. Let me tell you something. Do you know that the prodigal son never would have made it back home unless he got hungry? Uh, revelation comes. 
He didn't see it before, but he's in the pigsty. Do you know that the Bible says that he was in a pigsty, catch us out, and, and he was looking at what they feed pigs. I've been on a farm. I know what pigs eat. Uh, there were times where we would butcher an animal, and, and we would take all the entrails into a bucket, lungs, heart, you know, guts and stuff, and all the stuff you wouldn't want to eat, unless you're Hispanic. And, and, and then, and then we'd, we'd pull that out, and we'd dump it into the pigsty, and the pigs would just trample over and fight over it. And it would get muddy and full of all sorts of feces and urine, and they would slob it down. Do you know that the prodigal was in the, in the pigsty looking at pig food saying, man, that looks good. And it was his hunger that said, there's more food in your father's house than in this pigsty. The Bible says it caused him to get out of the pigsty to go back home in an attitude of repentance towards his father. It never would have happened unless he got hungry. The Spirit of the Lord reminded me of a story, and I've preached this maybe 20 times in all the 26 years that I've been uh, pastoring, and, and he reminded me of the story of the leper. You know, there was a time that Samaria was under a famine. This is 2 second, second Kings chapter 6. There, there was a famine so terrible that, that there's a story of, of, of a woman coming to the king as he was wa walking along the, the, the gate, the wall of the kingdom. And, and she, she asked him, I need your help. He said, listen, I don't have no food. I'm not giving you. She goes, no, no, no. I just need you to judge a matter. I was with my friend. And my friend told me, hey, let's do this. Let's boil your son. And then we'll eat him today. And then tomorrow comes, I'll boil mine and we'll eat mine tomorrow. He said, so we boiled my son and we ate. But then when tomorrow became today, and I said, bring your baby. So I ain't boiling my baby. Help me. The Bible says the king rent his clothes. I mean, this is what hunger does. There's a leper outside of Samaria. You know what he says? He tells the other lepers, listen, why sit we here until we die? Listen, let's, let's go over to the camp. You know, Syria came down. To besiege Samaria because they saw that they were in danger. They were in a famine. And so they brought a lot of food, a lot of supplies. But when they came, the Bible says the night before, God caused them to hear chariot wheels. And, and they thought there was a sound of a, an approaching army. Kings were coming. And so they fled in haste. And they left all that food there. Nobody knew it. But there was provision. There was grace. There was favor. The Bible says that leper said, why sit we here until we die? Let's go to the camp of the Syrians. If they kill us, we're going to die anyway. But who knows, maybe they'll throw us a chicken bone or two. I don't know. And when they got there, the camp was empty. You see, it took hunger to take the leper to the enemy's camp. I'm calling this house to fast. And I'm calling this house to prayer. Because we are in those last days. You know what Paul says, and let me tell you why I'm so convinced. It's not just what I see on the outside. It's what I see on the inside. You know, Paul says, I know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. He's not talking about the ozone layer. He's not talking about floating garbage out in the, in the oceans because we can't recycle. He says, I know this, in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves. He says, going to be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful people, disobedient to parents, unholy people. You hearing this? He said, they're going to be without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce. Are you hearing this? They're going to be incontinent, you know, sexually immoral. Going to be fierce. They're going to be despisers of those that do good. They're going to be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof of such turn away. Listen, that is in this church. And brother and sister, I'm here to tell you, we're not going to break out of that unless we begin to get real with the counsel of the Almighty. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear them and I will heal their land.
And I pray I'd get somebody to stand up and say, Pastor, I want to unite myself with the purposes of God and the heart of God in this last hour to declare that God is able and that his grace is available and that God will show himself strong to anybody that needs a strong God. Do I have an amen out there with somebody? Give your neighbor a high five and say, I've come to do the work of the Lord and God Almighty. Our apathetic days have come to an end. Your, your days of introspection have come to an end. The day of, of the heart of God and the mind of God should be the priority of the house of God. It's work that needs to be done. Today here in just a little while, I'm going to leave here and, and I'm going to go straight to do a funeral. I, I love preaching funerals. Solomon in his great wisdom said, better is a house of mourning than a house of laughter. Because in a house of mourning, you're going to apply your heart to it. And sorrow produces a countenance in the heart that makes you better. You know, I'm going to go talk to people who are, who are suffering loss. Who are maybe for the first time contemplating what it is to die or mortality. Uh, we come to church and, and we come in life and in ability. And we're, we're not suffering loss. And listen, I'm here to tell you, my friend, today God is suffering loss in heaven. Why? Because his children have turned themselves away from him. And he wants to use your life to go out to minister to the need to show the benevolence of God and the goodness of God. Because, friend, I'm here to tell you, it's not your message that's going to win him. It's the goodness of God that's going to win him. Because the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's God's goodness. And I have a good God. My, my message isn't to go out to tell people how horrible they are. I, I didn't come today to convict you. And if you were convicted, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know what, I've come to this church and to the place that I'm about to go to, that funeral home, and wherever God will send me is to say on this, listen, there's grace, and God is looking to disperse that grace and his favor somewhere, and he's looking to shine, and he's looking to do good, and to help somebody, and God is going to send me out into the world to show people that God is a good God. He's an awesome God. He's a loving God. He's a purposeful God. He's a Father in heaven that loves you like nobody else could ever love you, and I'm going to go out and preach that message gonna go preach that mess I preached it to you if you'll stand to your feet with me for a moment stand to your feet with me for a moment I'm sorry I preached more than 30 minutes you're okay I went exactly 45 minutes and 49 seconds but trust me when I tell you I've I've lived a life long enough in the Spirit of God to know when I hear from the Lord when I tell you as I lay there in my, in my prayer closet searching out the heart of God, Lord, what do we need to do? How do we break out of the grasp of the enemy? And as my heart wept for you, and as it wept for this city, for our nation, I heard the Spirit of the Lord tell me, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to fast. You're going to have to pray. Now, I have a regimen of fasting. I say fasting is, you know, I'm going to digress here. When I call people to prayer, people don't like to pray. You'll do anything but pray. You'll try to fix it. You'll try to go handle it. People don't like to pray. I mean, there's, I mean if you go to Mardell's, there's a lot of books on prayer. People will even study about prayer, but won't pray. People will say amen to prayer, but won't pray. Uh, and, and this is what I've come to decision. You know, you know why you don't pray? I'm going to tell you why you don't pray. It's real simple. You don't get any results. Let me say that one more time. Maybe you missed it. Let me tell you why you don't have a regular regimen of praying. It's because you don't get results. So it begs the question. Preacher, why do you pray? I pray because I see results. You say, well, how do you see results? Because I pray and fast. 
because fasting is the ingredient that brings dynamite to prayer. If, if you want to see an answer to your prayer, fast with it. I know it's not fun. I mean, I'm like you. I love Big Macs. You can see I've had my fair share of them. I'm like you. I, I, I like a good meal. I, I like to sit around the dinner table and, and pick up my teeth with my toothpick and just chatting with people. I, I enjoy that as much as you do it. But I know what it is to put that aside because you know what? I want to hear God. And I need answer to prayer. The man of God's got to get an answer. And I believe you do too. And the Spirit of the Lord has sent me to tell you, if you want to get an answer to your prayer, if you want to begin to perceive and see the thoughts of God, the mind of God, the heart of God, that you might be a worker of the kingdom of God, you need to fast. If you have any inclination to the sorrow that God is under right now, listen, when I get before the Lord, He is hurting. He is weeping over culture, over society right now. And the sad thing about it is there's very few people that will go out and do the work. You know why? Because we're just all so busy. But you know, fasting will create in you an attitude, a hearing, a discipline that will produce in your life the ability to carry forth the things of God. I'm calling Harvest Point to fast. Now, I'll get into some specifics here. I don't know how you want to choose to fast, but I pray everybody would. I'm going to tell you what I heard the Spirit say. So, so I don't know what your regimen is. May, maybe some of you, for health reasons, you have to be careful how you fast. Uh, th th there, there, there might be some of you that, and I've met people in my lifetime that fasted 40 days. 40 days, hear me. Just like Jesus, they fasted 40 days. I've met people who fasted all week, seven days, 10 days. Right? I, I know people that have fasted a day, every other day, or once a week. But we need to fast. But we need to fast. When my stomach is grumbling, it's growling, I'm growling at the enemy. How I many know your stomach going to growl? Your flesh is saying, feed me. Feed me. But we say no. We're causing the flesh to dissipate. We're putting the flesh in subjection so that the voice of God may be heard clearer. And maybe while I'm not fasting, Tommy's fasting. So when my stomach's not grumbling, his is. Because I'm talking about the church. We have to have a growl in here. Let me say it again. We have to have a growl in the church. An aggressiveness. A spiritual aggressiveness. So that when Tommy's not growling, I'm not growling. Guess what? My brother Edward's growling. And when he's not growling, Tommy's not growling, I'm not growling, Maddie's growling. And who knows, there might be where I'm growling, Pastor Josh is growling, Elder Richard's growling, First Lady's growling, and we start stirring up a noise in the kingdom of God, that there are people serious about the things of God, people humbling themselves, say, Father, use me to move in this culture and in this time. And listen, God has sent me forth to ask that laborers enter into the field. It's not this the prayer of the Lord. If we would ask the Lord of the harvest for laborers into the field, for listen, brother and sister, the field is ripe for harvest. You know why? People are hurting. You go out and minister goodness, you're going to minister. People need the Lord. Will y'all pray with me?